it's Sunday. You're listening probably to FabRadioInternational.com. I'm Ed Fortune and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. And this is The Bookworm. If you've come to us via the BFI slash Harper Voyages Sci-Fi Spectacular, welcome, because we're going to be talking about all things science fiction uh, later on in the show. Uh, but coming up next, we're going to be talking book news. So, the big bit of boot news, uh, Shetty and Amazon have kissed and made up. Oh, I knew it! I knew it! Pass the confetti! Yay! Bless them. Uh, for those of you who have been asleep or just don't care, uh, <laughs> essentially two large uh, corporate organisations have been bickering over pricing. And essentially, uh, they've stopped bickering now. They've come to a deal. The short version is that Hachetti uh, get to keep keep their prices the way they want to and Amazon have said if you stick in line with the, the way we'd like you to price things we'll give you a better promotion and make it easier for those books to sell it's like you know which it seems a bit odd because you know making books cheaper normally makes them sell better but anyway um, they <laughs> anyway they've stopped fighting and it's been a whole load of nonsense if we sound really tired and slightly sarcastic about this news, it's because it's essentially been watching two huge, big people smacking each other and sitting there going, well, you know, if either of them win, then... Eh. You know, mainly well, what we're screwing over the little guy, basically. Yeah, yeah. mainly but what we've been doing is, <sighs> can I buy my books now? Can I buy my books now? Can you stop messing us around so we can get our books? So, stuff is coming back on. Uh, stuff that's available via the Hichetti Book Group will be uh, available um, and promoted normally now and therefore you'll be able to get lots of lovely stuff in time for Christmas. Yay! So, so... Coincidence? I think think not. not. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, in in tangential book news, what did you do yesterday, Ed? Oh, um, I went to Fort Bubble um, uh, alongside, well, alongside other members of the team and we had a lot of fun. We essentially went, uh, for those of you who don't know Fort Bubble, Fort Bubble is a massive sequential art festival in Leeds. It runs for a week and it ends with uh, a big comic convention. Um, it was foggy, it was chilly, there were less cosplayers. Um, there were certainly less cosplayers in, shall we say, not much clothing because it was really cool. So everyone went for their warm cosplay, which was extremely sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, Mostly, though, it was really slightly organised, better organised, best organised Fort Bubble uh, ever, uh, as far as you know, as far as I'm aware. Um, the, the queues were the queues were good. There tend to be very long queues to mm. like you know people like Jeff Lemire and this sort of thing. People will want to go and see them, so there'll be huge queues. <coughs> However, what they did was they organised the way they put the, the various people in the various tents. Mm. So the ones with the huge queues were in one area and kind of coming out of one door, which meant that you could get from one end of the tent to the other end of the tent without having to deal with lots of people who were waiting to get a book signed. Oh, very cool. For those of you who don't know and are leaving the UK, Thought Bubble is a um, comic book graphic novel festival based in, uh, Leeds. Based in Leeds in the UK. Uh, it's organised every year always has some fantastic headliners and there's always something going on really loads of fun it's very much a kind of a Sundance festival-y kind of thing for comic books mm-hmm. um, and it's starting to pair up with uh, the thing in Kendall because there's a comic arts festival in Kendall and between the two because they're quite close to each other in time they work quite well um, we are also um, contributing of this show is pretty much contributing to the BFI's uh, um, sci-fi festival uh, which is going on right now um, you can access it via the internet, via Twitter, uh, and also the Harper Voyager website because they've got all sorts of fantastic interviews that you can get involved in and talk to all sorts of sci-fi authors. 
in in station news, the station is a year old. Ish. We 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 actually think it's next week. We certainly hope it's next week because next week is when we're doing the birthday show. Yay. We will be doing our birthday show next week because it'll be our show's birthday. Yes. Yes. And technically, the station it's, it's one of those interesting things because the station. There's a bit of a timey wimey wibbly wobbly thing. <laughs> the station launched on a Sunday, but no shows were actually uh, transmitted. Because they wanted to launch with a very specific show, which was on the Monday. So there you go. But tonight, if you're listening live, dear listener, uh, there is a party in Manchester for Fab Radio International's first birthday. It is free entry. Should you be in the vicinity and feel like it, then do feel free to come along. If you keep wondering why all the cool things happen in the north of England, it's because all the cool things happen in the north of England. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Manchester. We do things differently here. (laughs) So, um, so I think that's, that's pretty much for, for boot news. There are some cool things that have just happened, and also some old fights have ended. So it almost feels like the start of a new year. Um, obviously, if you are new to the show, maybe because you've just caught us via, via the, the BFI Harper Voyager uh, whole shenanigan thing, uh, you can catch us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm, Facebook at Radio Bookworm, Tumblr at Radio Bookworm. You can also go to the Starburst Magazine website, select podcasts, and have a look at our lovely podcasts there as well. Or on Mixcloud. You can probably contact us via Raven or Owl if you're that sort of a person. Mm-hmm. Our Owl is called Radio Bookworm, and you know, if you call him, sometimes it answers, sometimes it just kind of sings at you. It's a bit disturbing, to be quite honest. I don't know where <laughs> it's come from. Um, but that's because I'm a muggle. Come on. <gasps> So, I'm going to do a Star Wars tie-in book. <laughs> dun, 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 because uh, the sci-fi festival nonsense, what's it? Um, by the way, if you, again, um, if you get a chance, Harper Voyager are currently on their Twitter feed doing a whole thing with sci-fi authors uh, in honour of the BFI's Festival of Science Fiction and that sort of thing. You should totally get involved. Um, but anyway, I'm going to be talking about Tarkin by G- James Lucino, published by Delray. It is a Star Wars tie-in novel. It is about Moff Tarkin. Yay! Now, if Moffy. you're... Moffy. Moffy. No, don't call him Moffy. Um, I'm allowed. Grand Moff Tarkin is a character from the Star Wars universe. He is Peter Cushing. He's the guy who is Peter Cushing, who's standing next to Darth Vader. Given the fact that Darth Vader pretty much doesn't act... Uh, he just stands there and looks menacing, which is you know, the, all the physical acting in the first Star Wars movie is stand there, look scary, mm-hmm. and the rest of the voice acting is is literally it's voice acting. It's done, you know, it, it, it's an overdub. So you needed someone who was very good at being villainous and being sinister, and of course that's Peter Cushing. So Peter Cushing plays Grand Moff Tarkin, and the novel is an insight into who Moff Tarkin is. Okay. Into the sort of, you know, the life that he comes from. And it's interesting. It's sort of... Hmm, it's a sort of kind of an objective, uh, objectivist anthem, um, which is interesting because he's a villain. Um, what we've got is we've got a guy who... Um, his entire, he comes from privilege, but he doesn't really come from privilege. So he comes from the edges of uh, civilization, um, much like, much like, much like Luke, much like the Emperor. They all come from the edges of the Star Wars universe. Mm. Um, but his particular ed- ed- edge is a fairly savage jungle world where they can mine this, this value, valuable material. But because they're on the edges, they get constantly pirated and attacked by space pirates and the like. So. He's he's raised in such a way that he has to kind of fight through his supper. You know, nothing is given to him. Despite the fact that his parents are very rich, the constant idea is that any minute people are going to run into your house and take everything away from you. You must always fight. You must always be competent. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's taken on a thing that's referred to as the carrion. And the carrion is essentially a jungle trip where they, they fight and they fight and they fight and they survive and they're given very limited resources and he has to learn to lead and as a youth he is constantly being thrown into danger 
in order to prove himself, in order to be strong, and in order to learn very harsh life lessons the harshest possible way. So this is the underlying story we're talking. The other story, um, it gives you a bit of a background and you know where he's come from and the things that he's learned and how he became uh, a fairly senior member of the, the Imperial fleet. And by he, hard work. By hard work, it's a short version. By hard work and being really vicious. Um, I kind of like it. He's, he's, he is very, very well done, and you can just imagine Peter Cushing. All, you can imagine Peter Cushing playing this role all the way through. It's really, really well done. He's very much an English officer slash European officer slash sinister. The other story is his starship, the Carrion Spike. He's been on the Carrion. It explains the meaning of the Carrion Spike is explained in the story. But he has a starship called the Carrion Spike which has got all sorts of cool stealth capacities and it's brilliant and it's been built by all these systems. One of the problems I have with this book, by the way, is that James Lucino has obviously swallowed an entire Star Wars encyclopedia. And there's points where he goes, yes, this was developed by Sonar Systems using blah, 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 blah. on oh. these dockyards. The, and he's like, okay, if I was a Star Wars fan, like, of that level, I'd, I'd care, but I'm, I'm not. I just like the movies, so... Um, Please stop, on. please stop telling me what it's made out of. It's a cool, invisible ship. Brilliant. Move on. But you obviously you have to have that sort of thing in because there is a certain sort of fan that insists. Mm. But he kind of he does go back a little bit too often to that sort of thing. Together. Right. So it reads a bit like he's taken to the Star Wars wiki. A yeah, bit there's, too much. there's a bit bit too much technical manual. I mean, I, I appreciate that there has to be a level of it, but sometimes you just sit there going, I don't actually need to know this. And you've already told me at the first time I was bored then. But mostly, mostly it's fine. Mostly he, he tries to work around that kind of dull stuff. So, invisible spaceship. Really cool invisible spaceship. Guess what happens? Bevel's running around. Guess what happens? He parks it somewhere on a dodgy planet. And, and he forgot. It gets nicked. Ah. It gets nicked. So Darth Vader and, and Moff Tarkin basically try and get their car back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, where's my spaceship? <laughs> In fact, dude, where's my invisible spaceship? <laughs> I've lost my invisible spaceship. Are you sure it's just not there? And you just can't get it to, to you know. He's, he's standing there, with the space people are going, doot, 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 and it's just not flashing because the batteries are flashing. That that sort of thing. So, um, but it's really well done because what we then get is a hunt for Red October, where you've got a, a lesser spaceship. Pursuing a greater spaceship, and he's, you know, he's using tactics and hunting tactics. And then we get a flashback to the time that when he was a hunter. And um, so there's this whole kind of backwards and forwards going on okay. because obviously he's he's learned how to be the great white hunter, even though those words aren't used. He's essentially that kind of imperialist, colonialist style character, mm-hmm. and he's hunting pirates that way. Okay. So, it's really solidly written. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's one of those things where you kind of wish they hadn't killed off Grand Moff Tarkin because there's so much stuff you can do with this character. Mm. There's a couple of things, because it's a Star Wars book of a significant character that they hadn't really covered, they, they throw a bone in. Uh, you get the Emperor's first name. Ooh. Um, uh, listeners, if you don't want the spoiled, then you can uh, skip forward five seconds or stick your fingers in your ears now. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it like? I don't know. What is it? Sheev. Of course, it's Sheev. As in Shiva. Um. So, uh, listeners, if you've still got your fingers in your ears, take them out. That's a ridiculous thing to say, but I just <laughs> for those of you watching in black and white. The pink ball is next to the green. So, so yes, I should have put that about, about that bit better, really. But yes, Sheev, it's it's just I've ruined it for you now. Ha ha ha! No, it's a, it's a. I don't think it's a spoiler. I mean. It's not really a spoiler. It's just a thing. It's a great pub quiz question. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the emperor? What's Earth? his full name? Mm-hmm. But when you think about you know it's Naboo and Amidala and they've got that whole kind of thing yeah. going on. So, you know, they're trying to be very so clever. So it's Sheev Palpatine. Sheev Palpatine. Of course it is. That, that, that sounds... It does sound like an action, doesn't it? Yeah. Shave him! Shave him! <laughs> Do it now before it's too late. <laughs> oh, dear, we've gone on a tangent. A little. 
Um, yeah, that's okay. already a spoiler. Um, so, is it good? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it. It's one of those. It, it's a tie-in novel. It's a Star Wars tie-in novel. You you always expect a certain level of it's a tie-in novel. You're not expecting it to be a world devastating book, and it's always pleasant a pleasant surprise when it's really good. Um, it's fun. It's very much aimed at anyone who can read who's into Star Wars, so it never gets too dark. But that said, it's not a particularly light book, and it is about the baddies, which is nice to see. And it doesn't overuse Darth Vader, which is always handy as well. Um, so yes, it's on Delray. It's out now, it's by James Nacino, and it's called Tarkin. That's what we were talking about. So, uh, I was lucky enough to talk to Robert Sharp from the English Pen, who are a very interesting charity, who do very interesting and very good things, and you'll learn more when we talk to him. So that's coming up now. Embrace the Alternative with Fab Radio. Robert Sharp, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you very much for having me on the show. So, what can you tell us about the English Pen? So, English Pen is a 93-year-old charity. We were founded uh, in London in 1921 uh, by uh, one of the literary superstars of the day, the Nobel Prize-winning laureate uh, John Galsworthy, uh, and a woman called Amy Dawson Scott, who was the, the social networker of her day. She knew everyone in literary London. And uh, together they, they founded this, uh, this writer's club, uh, because writing is a, is a lonely business, and uh, they wanted to have uh, someone to talk to about writing and uh, 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 the process. And, um, and so that's how it began. Uh, and very quickly, uh, uh, writers' clubs, other pen centres were uh, 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 sprang up all the way around the world um, as, as a kind of international fellowship of writers um, but uh, so they were founded uh, Penn was founded on this idea of, of literature across frontiers and very quickly they realised that you can't have literature across frontiers if there are censorship committees in countries and, uh, uh, and authoritarian regimes uh, dictators and kings uh, censoring anything uh, that they don't like so quite early in the process of, of Penn's uh, um, being this idea of freedom of expression, uh, the idea that that one should campaign for freedom of speech, uh, was was built into the uh, uh, into the way this group of writers operates, and and that has uh, that sentiment has has seen pen through through the last nine decades, and at every shall we say free speech moment that uh, that you might think of the um uh, obviously the 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 jewish people being being censored persecuted and and, and killed by the nazis uh, pen writers were there to to uh, to help the jewish writers to 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 help them into exile uh, to to attack the uh, the uh, well to, to criticize the the book burning of the the nazi regime um and then in the the communist era mccarthyism uh, defending people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, who, were, who were censored in the, the post-colonial era. Uh, people like uh, Wale Surinka were censored in, in Nigeria. Um, and uh, right through to the present day, when um, uh, uh, Salman Rushdie, for example, was, was uh, attacked and threatened by, uh, by Islamists uh, for what he'd written. And, uh, and it was Penn members who, who stood up to, to defend Salman Rushdie and defend his right to literature. So uh, that's, uh, that's a sort of potted history of Penn over, over the, the last 90 years. Uh, and what is it that you do for the English Penn? Well, we, we campaign against uh, all barriers to literature in the present day. So uh, I'm very lucky. I work on campaigns for Penn. So what is the English Penn currently up to? Well, 
in the present day, we campaign against any barrier to literature. We're trying to knock down all the frontiers to, to literature. So I'm very lucky. I work on campaigns. So it's a sort of the, the sharp end of free expression. Uh, we're campaigning for a poet in Cameroon, for example, called Eno Meomesi. Uh, he's written some poems uh, and some, some novels and some, some writing against the president. He stood against the president in the last elections and uh, they've conspired to put him in prison uh, we've done some literary campaigning on his behalf we've actually published the poems that he's written while in prison we also campaign for free speech here in the uk so uh, we're very active on social media prosecutions people being put in prison or given community service for for what they've tweeted or what they've put on facebook um, and also defending people like hillary mantel who who was criticized and threatened with a police investigation because she wrote um a, a satirical short story about about Margaret Thatcher. Um, but then my colleagues do some really important work uh, on other barriers to literature. So literacy, for example, if you can't read, if you're not very good at reading, if you can't write, you're not very good at writing, then you can't enjoy literature and you can't express yourself in a way that you might like to. So we send writers into uh, disadvantaged communities, to into prison, uh, the prison population in the UK, um, also working with returned soldiers with the, the Help, to, uh, Help for Heroes charity um, to, to do literary workshops where people might try poetry, try creative writing for the first time. They find it quite valuable. The other big uh, barrier to literature, to the enjoyment of literature, is translation. The amount of work published in uh, translation, that's uh, written in other languages originally and then translated into English, is pitiful. It's only uh, uh, about 3%, I think. Other languages, um, other countries uh, publish a lot more work in translation. Um, and that's a really big deal. What if your favourite writer was writing in a language that you didn't understand? <laughs> um, so uh, what what Penn does, we have a large uh, translation programme. People, publishers uh, apply to us and we give them grants to, to get the very best literature uh, translated into English. So, uh, so English, uh, English readers... Uh, the, the English language market can um, can finally read um, the, the the works from elsewhere. Um, so literature, literacy, fr literacy, and free speech are the sort of three prongs of of what we do. Um, it, it, it's quite exciting. It's quite inspiring. <laughs> I hope you can tell how enthusiastic I am about about working for Pen. So, how can genre fans help? Um, well, we've actually been trying to engage the, the science fiction, fantasy, genre community. Um, I was at the, uh, uh, the Nine Worlds convention um, out, at, uh, out at Heathrow Airport earlier in the year, um, where we were encouraging people to sign up as members of Penn, pay us uh, just a couple of pounds, uh, three or four pounds each month, and, um, and support our work, um, our charitable endeavours, uh, that way um, obviously we, we we run human rights campaigns there's there's always a tweet you can retweet or a facebook uh a post you can share or a petition to sign or an mp to write to um about one of the issues that we're uh, we're um we're campaigning on you can come to our events uh, we do a lot of events at uh, uh, literary festivals around the uk uh, you can come and talk about literature there um uh, or you, you know you can some of read some of the books that we're we're, we're promoting this this fantastic work in in translation um earlier in the year at the uh, uh, long con three um we hosted the first ever hg wells lecture audrey niffen uh, niffenegger the uh, the author you'll know of uh, the time traveler's wife gave a, gave a fantastic uh, uh, speech um about uh, free expression and about um, about how science fiction readers and writers uh, have really driven the idea of free speech, the idea of literary freedom, the idea of saying the unsayable and imagining the un uh, the unimaginable. <laughs> uh, it's 
it's it's a really important community I, I i think that that we want to engage as 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 much as possible i understand that you yourself are doing work for jared Sheeran's jurassic london imprint what can you tell me about that Sure. So um, it was. It's actually a spin-off from from an earlier project they've done called the Book of the Dead, which is a fantastic collection of short stories uh, surrounding the idea of the Egyptian mummy and Egyptology. Uh, my story was was written for that collection. I'm not ashamed to say. Um, what I am ashamed to say is that uh, that I, I couldn't keep to the word count. Uh, the story I wanted to write was was a lot longer than a short story. It's a it's a novella that comes in about eighteen hundred words. Um, so I had some discussions with uh, with the uh, the publishers, uh, Jared Shuren, uh of Jurassic London, and uh, he very kindly uh, said that he thought it was good enough to to publish as a as a short story. Um, so it will be out um, uh, next month, I believe. Um, it's, it takes place in two time zones, uh, ancient Egypt and uh, a modern-day emirate, which, which I, I, I don't name. And um, I don't know if your, your listeners are aware of the concept of a Chekhov's gun. That, uh, yes, I'm sure they, sure they are. If, if, the, uh, if the gun is mentioned on the mantelpiece in Act 1, it's bound to go off <laughs> by Act 5. Um, my, my story has a sort of Chekhov's mummy uh, it begins with uh, with a mummy in a sarcophagus, and um, I, there's no. Uh, it's it's not a spoiler to say that the, that the mummy will be resurrected um, by the end of uh, of of the story. Um, it's how the mummy, how the resurrection happens, and how the mummy, uh, and 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 indeed what the mummy does when when he is resurrected, um, that that I think is quite interesting. We're big fans of Jurassic London and Jared on the show. Uh, they are rather awesome. They are. Um, with, I should say, a, a, a massive connection to, to free speech, the, the reason I actually uh, got involved with them in the first place is, is because they are great supporters of Penn. They've, they've uh, donated money from their projects uh, to Penn. They've also recently organized a, a, a book drop where, where people donated old copies of, of their books, which we've used as part of our, our campaigns. Uh, yeah, I, I hope to be writing more stuff. I, I will be part of uh, the Near Now anthology, which um, which is going to be published in uh, in the spring of 2015. Uh, the Near Now stories of the very near future, so so speculative fiction, but uh, but uh, only ever so slightly into the future. What's the next thing that's going to happen? Um, I'm writing a story about uh, about trolling, which is something I I talk about uh, in my day job, um, and and the sort of the free speech and the hate speech and the damage that can be done by words. Uh, so that's what my story is going to be about. It's only half written yet, so I don't know. Why, I don't quite know what the outcome is, but I promise. And, and perhaps it's good that I, I say this on a on a radio show, on a podcast. I promise I'll keep to the word limit this time. And if you want to get involved with English Pen, what do you need to know? Sure. So it's uh, EnglishPen.org. Uh, pen as in as in the writing implement. Um, I, do you know what? I think it's a very early example of of savvy naming. I think they knew there were a, a, an organisation of writers, and they decided to call themselves Pen. And only then did they try and work out what the acronym stands for. It stands for poets, essayists, and novelists. But anyone who's a, a fan of literature can now join. Um, and you do it by going to EnglishPen.org. Uh, our Twitter handle is very simply EnglishPen. Um, so if you, if you go to those two places, you'll, uh, you'll get a very good sense of what we're about. Hopefully, some of our campaigns, some of our projects will, uh, will inspire your, your listeners to, uh, to send a few quid our way, uh, to sign our petitions, to participate in our campaigns. Uh, and just fight for, for good literature. It's very important. Robert Sharp, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much.
This is Fab Radio International. So, welcome back to the Bookworm uh, on Fab Radio International, sponsored by Starburst Magazine. Yes, um, you can get to us via Starburst Magazine, and you can also you should go on iTunes via Starburst Magazine, and you should tell us how wonderful we are by um, please, please just subscribe and also leave comments. So um, that was um, um, an interview, yeah, uh, from English Pen uh, that you've just missed. But don't worry, you can catch up on on iTunes um, or even on Mixcloud if you wish. And you can learn more about English Pen by going on EnglishPen.org. This this week's show, we are talking about all things sci-fi because we are involved in the BFI Sci-Fi Festival via Harper Voyager. So, what do you have in front of you? I have um, Inside Out, which is the first book in a duology by Maria Schneider. Yes, a duology. How very alternative. (laughs) It's two books, uh, Inside Out and Outside In. Um, And... um, Although it's um, it, it's a young adult, sort of kind of dystopian, it really is a sci-fi book. That, that's okay. what it is, really. Um, so what's it about? What is it about? What is it about? Um, this, it's the story of Trella. And Trella works as a scrub uh, on the lower levels of Inside. That's Inside with a capital I. Inside um, is this place where few thousand people live most of them crammed in the lower levels um there's no privacy there's 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 nowhere to go to be on your own you're constantly surrounded by people whether you're in your sleeping quarters or working um within your your sector uh, there's always someone around uh, in fact the only piece that trella kind of sort of finds is the piece within the pipes because her job is to clean up this this uh, massive pipes that run throughout the length of inside um, and the way that they sort of keep inside clean and working is by obviously having the scrubs run around fixing things that break and and clean keeping the things clean and having a few plans here and there to sort of clean up the air and then there's the other side of inside which is the upper level where the uppers live and um, the ones that you know, have got more space and better jobs and better lives uh, than what the people in the lower levels will ever know. And that's how it works. You know, you, you have sort of a place in your society uh, which is regulated by um, the uh, population control um, cops, the police. Um, and if you don't behave and do as you're told and keep keep your head down and do your work, they recycle you. Send Ouch. you to the chomper and, mm-hmm. and off you go and and your next life will be as part of the hydroponic section where you will help the plants grow. We've uh, talked about Maria V. Snyder's work before, haven't we? Yes, um, we've looked at the um, Poison Study series, which is um, very much fantasy, high fantasy, very, very cool. Um, th- this is definitely in the sort of sci-fi dystopian section. Um, still fantastic storytelling um, Maria Schneider is very well known for fabulous stories that read really well um, it's a very interesting world um, you kind of don't get the full story until you get into book two tell us more about book two ah, no I don't want to give you any spoilers oh, what I can tell you is that um, within inside, especially in the lower levels, there are prophets now and then that that are sort of that pop up. Most of them really are controlled by the pop cops, uh, and they spout propaganda on how you know if you're good and you do good in inside, then you will go through um, and go through the gateway to outside. That's mm. outside with the capital O. Um, but only after you die, sort of like you know, a sort of paradise where you'll you'll have all the space and everything will be beautiful, and you'll see finally what lies um, outside the walls of inside. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a fib to me. Well, you you would think so, you know. However, 
at the beginning of of Inside Out, you meet Broken Man. Broken Man is is in a wheelchair, and he he claims to be a prophet. However, he tells Trella and her friend Cog. Cog is sort of like her best friend and and um, a bit um, gullible, shall we say. Uh, and every time there's a new prophet, he kind of buys into the whole thing. Uh, and this time he certainly has it because Broken Man is different. So he drags Trella to meet this guy. And this guy tells Trella, actually, outside isn't a place, where, the place where you go after you die. Outside exists. Um, and the, the problem is that I've got the information on these discs that I left in my room uh, before I was sort of like chased out of my room by, by these pop cops. So could you please go and get it? Oh, dear. <laughs> and Trella's like, yeah, no, I don't really want to. <laughs> um, but she's very good at sneaking. She's little, she's, she knows everywhere within the pipes. And even though she's only authorised up to level two, let's just say that's not exactly where she stays. I see. Yes, she's a bit of a curious kitty. So, let's suffice to say that curiosity and and some persuasion uh, based on some information that that actually Broken Man does have about about Trella specifically um, kind of convince her, and this is sort of like the beginning. I can tell you things will get messy. I can tell you there will be a revolution. I will tell you that Trella will sort of be at the head of this revolution, reluctantly. Um, and that's the premise for, for the whole story. It's really well written. Um, and I really like the world. It's very dark. It's very clinical. It's, it's not dirty, but it kind of feels like it should be. Compared to um, other modern dystopian world books along a similar theme, how does it compare to Memory of Water and how does it compare to The Hunger Games? Well, it's, it's, I think, I mean, the social commentary is very similar. You know, here's where we're going if we're not careful. Um, in this case, it's a lot more technical. It's a lot more um, sort of sterile almost. Um, I mean, these people live inside and you don't even know what inside is up until to, like the end of this book. In fact, you don't even know it up until the end of the second book. But you know it's a place where humans are living because something horrible has happened outside. And and there's thousands of people just crammed into this space, not knowing where this space came from, not knowing how they got there because they've been there for generations now. And the information that they have has been sort of first changed and then completely lost to legend almost. Um and you don't even know, you know, is this us? Is, is this our humanity? Is it something else? Um, but there is a big, as I said, social commentary on, on how things work and, and how this government, I say that with air quotes, um, takes care of these sort of lost people. Um, I think it's, it's a different premise and um, it, it's definitely in, in a further future than The Hunger Games and Memory of Water could certainly be. Uh, I mean, Memory of Water is something that could be happening, you know, from now 50 years in the future. Uh, the Hunger Games could, could be just as little as that. Whereas this is more... This a... is more into, you know, you're talking, you know, hundreds of years into Logan the Run, closer to it? Logan Run, Paranoia? Possibly, yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it has that sort of vibe. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I've, I've read... In, the ter- in terms of di- dystopian sci-fi, this is the only one I've read. But I know there's some really good ones like Earth Girl um, that deal with sort of a similar feel um, to to Inside Out and Outside In. Um, I definitely enjoyed it, and I like the fact that you don't know where you are until later on in the story. And even when you do know where you are, um, there's almost like a feel of void, like like there's nothing around you apart from this place um it's it's very well written and i like trella as a main character and and her voice is quite a strong voice as well so she carries the story through uh she's a bit of a catniss in which she's very reluctantly 
Um, she very reluctantly becomes sort of like a symbol for, for revolution. Um, she's not interested in that. She just wants to get ahead with her life. And really all she wants is a bit of privacy and, and her own room. <laughs> um, that's, that's the dream, literally. Uh, but in a way, it's sort of like, it, it's the same for every one of us. You know, you can you can see yourself in Trella quite a lot in, in where you live in this place where the, the, there's no limits to, to what other people can see of you. You have no privacy. And, oh, my God, I've just made a, a, a like almost a, a social media <laughs> comparison there where everything is just in the open and all you want is perhaps just to keep something of yourself back hashtag leave me alone hashtag leave me alone <laughs> but so, yes it's a fantastic book um if you enjoy dystopian it's definitely a must read who's it by what's it on what's it called inside out uh, is the first book outside in is the second book it's by maria Vishneider and it's on harlequin tin coming up next uh, i say this every week we talk more about books Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fatboyian International. So we're talking about all things sci-fi, partially because of the BFI's uh, Sci-Fi Festival, partially because sci-fi is just really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I did a high novel, you did a Celeste V. dystopian novel. I, just building on the whole dystopian thing, one of my favourite dystopias is, and this is a tabletop role-playing game, which is also a book, because they're always books, um, is a thing called Paranoia, which they're redoing at the moment. Um, I really liked Paranoia. I read it when I was I st- read it when I was about twelve, and it kind of gave me a reading list of all sorts of dark and dystopian novels, from everything from We to 1984 to um, to all sorts of various bits and pieces. But it advertises itself of imagine a world created by the darkest desires of um, Huxley, Orwell, mm. um, and the Marx. Brothers. Sunshine uh, and flowers and kittens. Sun, sunshine and flowers and kittens. But that, that's a world where uh, everyone is hiding in a post-nuclear bomb shelter. Oh. And they're trying not to... They're, they're basically trying... They've all clones. So they've all been cloned several times. It's because the computer is in charge. And the computer is completely mad. Mm. Uh, and uh, happiness is mandatory. Oh and disobe- disobeying an order from the computer is punishable by death. Um, so you kind of tend to be a little harsh. It's it's so you have to kind of get away with. uh, Also, um, you will be executed if you are a communist, by which it means a member of a secret society, uh, a traitor, which means you know also a member of a secret society, (laughs) or a mutant. Um, And this game, you play someone who is a member of a secret society and has a mutant power, uh, as does everyone else. uh, As it turns out, already because you're all clones and the clones aren't exactly. um, Cloning is an inexact science in this particular mm. setting. Um, oh, reminds me a little of Eon Flux. The thing is, it's a comedy. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's the rarest and strangest of things. It's a comedy role-playing game. And the problem is, of course, with role-playing games, is that you're trying to get people to, to be funny. So it doesn't quite work because, you know, you either go for slapstick or you go for situationist. Mm. And this is the rarest of things of going for situationist. So one of the classic scenarios in this game splendidly well, well written by Greg Kostiarkin by the way um, is there's these six guys or six guys and girls troubleshooters in a room and they've been told by a computer that they absolutely have to make this robot work and it's entirely possible that the robot's just a hoover that hasn't been plugged in and isn't a robot at all yeah. and they somehow have to convince the computer and also their superiors to let them out of the room and not kill them and it's like two hours of watching people squirm and also trying to point the finger at each other and it's quite quite dark but also quite funny and it's that that's where the humour comes from so I've gone on a little bit of a tangent when I was talking about dystopian that's surprising wait no but yes dystopian. the other thing yeah the other thing but dystopian works yes there, there, there is so much to draw from there 
and you don't have to because I'm about thinking that outside in is a bit of romance or is it not? There, there is an element, but really it's just it, it's just a way of looking at the world because basically in Inside Out part of the story is that Trella has this hideout that she's found that's beyond her level and then one day she goes there to have some me time and there's a guy there and the guy turns out to be from the uppers so it's sort of like a oh so you I'm from you know, down below a little bit uh, but really I think he's just a way of, of getting to see the uppers and, and start my point is, that, is that yeah. it, that's setting rather than I think we're very tempted and I think people like to put things in little boxes and they go oh well it's not sci-fi it's a romance no it's no, sci-fi no it's very much sci-fi um, but you get this all the time because you get the problem with the Hunger Games where people who haven't read it go oh well it's not sci-fi it's romance no it's definitely oh, no, sci-fi it's, it's um, dystopian like at its best and <laughs> it, there's I think what people get confused when it's like well if it's a dystopian setting oh it's not not sci-fi it's dystopian well no it's sci-fi yeah um a setting is different from a genre, and people tend to, I think, blend the two too easily yeah, because yeah. they're lazy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be harsh. People are lazy, and they just go, oh, it's the same with the Star Wars novels. All of the Star Wars novels are not space opera. Some no. of them are military sci-fi. Mm. Some of them are conspiracy theory. Some of them are action adventure. They're all, but they're all sci-fi. They're all, they're all sci-fi because it's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And they're, But they're not all space opera. Star Wars, the movies, are all space opera. Mm-hmm. And it's very tempting to go, oh, well, the whole thing must be... No, 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 no. Tarkin is all about, you know, it is a journey of discovery and, you know, a kind of... But it's it's, it's like you know yes the movies are you know space opera but then if you look at the cartoon series they're sci-fi adventure. It, it's the same with a lot of tie-in fiction. Is good tie-in fiction that is well managed is diverse. So the more, for example, using the Black Library Warhammer Forty K novels as an example, the best ones are different from the standard. No one wants to read two hundred novels about a space marine shooting some guy in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. dull. You can re- you can read that maybe ten times. Um, you then you then need to put more stuff into it to make it you know or more but interesting. You, it, well, it's like you know, it's the, look at the world. It, 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 it's it's diverse, and if you want to read a book and recognise the book and and liaise and and sort of get something out of the book you're going to have to look at the world in different ways you get more limited diversity I find in lit fiction than you do in genre fiction and mm. I know this is a strange thing to say but you get an awful lot of lit fiction novels that are you know a sal- an examination of one's belly button um, <laughs> and some sort of family tragedy and oh it's a family tragedy and oh it's very sad and just like well right okay if you just add some ghosts into there it'd be more exciting or, <laughs> If you add another, literally another dimension of some description, then you you will get more out of it. You can use different tools to tell the same stories, and some of the best stories are told. You know, it's why I mean I think a lot of the books that I love the most don't really fit into a box of labeling because there's romance, there's adventure, there's you know, fantastic magic. There's there's a bit of everything. There's humor. There's darkness. There's there's everything. I mean, I could be I could be a, a kind of a crusty old lefty and point out that it's a case of money ruining things where people want to have labels, but it's not really that's not really the case. It is marketing thing to an extent, but also people are lazy and just want to, want to, to know to, where to go. They they they, they, they want their I don't want to walk all the way to the back of the bookstore. I want to know exactly where my romance book is so that I can pick it up and get out quickly because I've got a million other things to do. But um, it was one of the things when there's all the Twilight knockoffs started appearing where people were trying to work out exactly where to put some of them. And it's like, oh, can we do horror romance? Yes. Well, where does that fit? Because the romance section and the horror section aren't anywhere near each other. <laughs> and it's like, excellent. You, you're now And do you know how they solved that? They created a new section. Yes, called... Paranormal Romance. Nope. Oh. Nope. Let's call it a horror romance. Young adult. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's where it a, all goes. That's I disagree with that. That's a bit mean. <laughs> that is a bit mean. No, the, the, they, they did, though, because there is now a young adult section. There is a paranormal romance section, which includes some of the horror romance stuff. Uh, and I'm like, can you not just call them books and put them all in, like, alphabetical order? Or, you know, recommendations and rely on people who've read them to, to, to tell you what's going on. There's so many different systems that you can organise a book. We should get a bookstore. That's what we should do. 
Oh my god, that would be so awesome. Um, if you're a regular listener of the show, you should tell us what you think we should have in our book one bookstore. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I, I would, I, you know what? I would say not a coffee shop. Why not? I love coffee. tea. Tea, yes, <laughs> columns. But I, I would want one of those places where they're really snobby about teas, and then it's like, I want a coffee, please. It's just coffee. There you <laughs> go. Whatevs. Whatevs. Did you just want some Pro Plus instead? Did Did you say coffee tea? <laughs> <laughs> did you? Sorry, sorry. What was it? Well, I don't understand. We, we'll brew the tea for you carefully, but coffee, whatever. Yeah, um, I like. Coffee. I, it's when you go to a coffee shop and they just give you a tea making kit. It's like here is some hot water and here's some tea. Uh, here is a tea bag. That's not brewing tea for me. That's that's a kit that I can use to create tea. <laughs> that's that's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to actually brew me tea. Uh, you know, so maybe some loose leaf tea in a, in a anyway. <laughs> Tangent. Shocking. It's shocking. absolutely shocking. But anyway, uh, if you've just uh, new to the show, well done. Uh, please come back. <laughs> please don't run away in fear. Um, Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Fat Radio International. So, I've been Ed Fortune. And I've been Nympha Hazen, Steelham, and this has been The Bookworm. You can find us on social media at Radio Bookworm on Twitter, Radio Bookworm on Facebook, on Tumblr. You can also find us on Mixclouds and on iTunes through the Starburst Magazine uh, podcast. Please comment, please subscribe. It really does help us out if you do that. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.